Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. God is independent, Psalm 50. Let me put a picture of a man on the screen, Otha Anders of Ruston, Louisiana. He spent 45 years bending down collecting something that most of us ignore, pennies. That's right. Uh, Mr. Anders was a supervisor for in-school suspended children, collected pennies for many years, and one day walked into the local bank with 15 five-gallon jugs full of pennies, and he deposited a grand total of $5,136.14 worth of pennies. Now, the bank's coin machines took five hours to count all those pennies. And maybe more significant than his thriftiness was his thankfulness. Every new penny on the ground served as a prompt for him to give thanks to God. He told reporters, I have become convinced that spotting a lost or dropped penny was an additional God-given incentive reminding me to always be thankful. There have been days where I failed to pray, and more often than not, a lost or dropped penny would show up to remind me. Well, it seems like he did that for more than 5,000 times. Because of God is who he is, we should give him thanks since everything comes from him. And today and this weekend, as we're focusing in on the final day of our 40 days of prayer for the year 2021, uh, we're going to focus in on thankfulness. Um, I want to put on the screen, first of all, the five attributes of God that we've covered so far. God is gracious, immutable. That means he doesn't change. He's omniscient, knows everything, and omnipresent, is everywhere present, is wise, and is love. And then now on the screen are the five responses Each one of those responses ties into one of those attributes, but they're not in the right order there on the screen. So maybe you could pause here for a minute and just see if you can uh, match up the attribute with the appropriate response that the Bible gave us. Well, now that you've had a chance to do that, let's let's actually look at these together. Uh, God is gracious And because of that, we learned in Hebrews that we can pray boldly to him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. God is immutable. Uh, Psalm 102, he never changes. And and that psalm called us to call on him while we are in distress. God is omniscient and omnipresent. Psalm 139, this leads us to ask him to search and cleanse us, to to search out the evil in us and the evil in the world around us. God is wise. Uh, James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask for wisdom. And God is love. And this leads us to love and pray for our enemies. Well, today on this closing uh, weekend, we're going to talk about the fact that God is independent. It's not an attribute of God that gets talked about very much in church. But we're going to learn what it means, and it leads us to be thankful and to call on him 
when we are in trouble. So let's read this psalm. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join in with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusation before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. Now, Psalm 50 is what we call a covenant lawsuit. Most of the Psalms contain their prayers. They're containing words directly to God or about God. But this one has a very unique form. It's, it's more prophetic. Uh, in this covenant lawsuit, God appears both as the judge and the attorney who's making the accusation against his very own people. And yet he's doing it not just to proclaim that they're guilty, but so that they will repent and turn and draw close to him. It is, as the heading says, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a musician and a Levite. In fact, First Chronicles 6 and 16 identify him as the chief Levitical singer in charge of the music in the temple at Jerusalem. It says he was designed to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition to give thanks and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, he was the Chad Mears of the temple. That's who Asaph was. Well, the psalm in this unique uh, passage really has three movements. In verses 1 to 6, God summons his people to judgment. He he summons the whole earth to come watch, but it's his, his own people that he's judging. And then 
in verse 7 to 15, God makes the accusations against them and corrects their wrong views of worship. And then in the closing section, God condemns evil and invites his people to repent and to worship. So let's, let's walk through these sections. First of all, God summons his people to judgment. Verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. Three names for God open this psalm. Two of them were general names for God, the mighty one and God. Uh, but then uh, the next one is the personal name for God, Yahweh, uh, translated there as Lord. What a, what a staggering opening. He, he's summoning the whole earth. He's, he wants everybody to come here. And it's from Jerusalem, from Zion, perfect in beauty. God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rage. God is summoning people to Jerusalem to witness his judgment. And it is a powerful image. This is no weak God, but one that shines forth. And he comes with a fire and with a storm. Scripture and other places picture God as a consuming fire. But he's not in, in judging the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 4 tells us who's in, in view here. He Summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The Mosaic covenant identified Israel as God's holy chosen people. And indeed it was confirmed with a sacrifice. Initially Moses, when he accepted or he affirmed their acceptance of the law in Exodus 24... But it was also, it also may refer to the continual sacrifices to God that are a part of this covenant. Uh, Leviticus 1 to 7 talks about all the many sacrifices that keep happening. Simply put, the covenant, uh, as one commentator puts it, was a, was a legal metaphor for the relationship between God and his people. So here's God saying, I'm in covenant relationship with you. Um uh, and, and I'm, I'm calling you, verse 6, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. God is righteous. He will not tolerate sin and the evil in the world or his people, as the rest of the psalm is going to make clear. So Israel should not just assume that everything is okay between them and God because they're his chosen people. Nor should we. As the psalm moves into the second section, God corrects wrong views about worship. Listen, my people, verse 7 starts, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. Because of their covenant relationship, God has rights as their ruler. Now, first, he gives them what seems to be good news in verse 8. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. The problem is not that they are failing to bring sacrifices. They're failing to bring burnt offerings. Uh, they, they are doing that. And God doesn't find any fault with the fact that they bring them. But the bad news is that he doesn't need their offerings. And they shouldn't think that they're worshiping God just because 
they're making those offerings. And he tells them that in the next few verses. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, I know exactly, or I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Now, in that context, in the ancient Near East, the false gods indeed depend, did depend on the sacrifices. People offered them to, for food. But the one true God of the universe, Yahweh, he's not like that at all. He doesn't eat food like we do. And even if he did want to eat food, he wouldn't have to wait until weak, sinful human beings offered him some food because <laughs> he created everything. All the birds, he created everything. It's all, it's all there. He's the creator of everyone and and everything. He, God is completely independent. God does not need us or our worship. Wayne Grudem defines God's independence like this. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we in the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. I remember back in high school, I was in, I don't know if it was a drama class or fine arts competition or, or whatever, but there was this, this famous poem about creation by James Weldon Johnson. And, and, and it talks about God creating the world. And it says, he looked around and then he said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a man. That may be beautiful poetry, but it's not biblically sound. God did not create human beings because he was lonely or because he needed anyone the truth of God's independence bursts forth from the pages of Psalm 50. It's also found in many other places in Scripture. Let me just give you a couple as an example. Job 41, verse 11, God said, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. And Acts chapter 17 the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Are, are we getting the picture? This is our God. He doesn't need anything. We need him. He's the creator of everything and everyone. He is totally independent. Well, back in Psalm 50, uh, at the next verse, verse 14, we get what the appropriate response to the fact is that God doesn't need anything. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God did not need the sacrifices for himself, but he still expected his people to offer them in repentance and obedience. That's a blend of holiness and grace as he invites his people to come and to be restored. Psychologist Bob Emmons did a study 
in which he had participants write down their blessings in a journal at the end of the day. This is a kind of a gratitude study. And some participants wrote down their blessings at the end of the day. The, The other group, the control group, didn't do it. And when the study concluded, the people who had engaged in this simple practice of thanksgiving were emotionally and physically healthier than the control group. Other studies have showed that practicing gratitude can offer such health benefits as lowering blood pressure, improving your immune system function, giving you more efficient sleep, less inflammation, a healthier heart rhythms, less depression and less fatigue. Now, Psalm 50 is not speaking about the physical benefits of giving thanks, but the spiritual advantages. It says sacrifice thank offerings. Sacrifice thank offerings. Animal sacrifices were at the heart of Old Testament devotion for the, for the Israelite. The, there are all kinds of sacrifices, but these thank offerings were extra. That and the vows, they were designed to express gratitude to God uh, and dedication to God, in fact. They were voluntary. So, for instance, after God had delivered someone, or maybe they had experienced an answer to prayer, they would bring a, a, a thank offering to God and they would make a meal and they would share in the, me, the meal as part of it to, to symbolize that they were celebrating communion with God. Um, and they were thanking God for delivering them and for wanting to be present with him. It was, it was like having a banquet with God. And the essence of those kind of sacrifices was to acknowledge your total dependence on God's grace and mercy. It was an outward expression of an inner commitment to God and to honor Him and His covenant with your life. Now, today, we don't have an official thank offering like that. We don't have animal sacrifices, of course. But on a weekly basis, something similar might be our worship services that we give people an opportunity to do something similar in a group setting. They, they, they sing songs of praise to God and they pray prayers that, that praise God. They give financial resources that we call offerings that support God's work, but they worship God. These are, uh, you know, some of the components of corporate worship. Or maybe I should say they can be components of corporate worship, true worship. They also can become ritualistic. You can sing the songs because it's time to sing it's Sunday morning. Or because you like the tune. You can go through the motion of giving. Maybe it makes you feel a little better about yourself. Maybe you... Go through the motions of the prayers. And to us today who are experiencing those kind of things, I think God would say, I really don't need those sacrifices for my benefit. I want to see a life that is devoted to me. I want to see obedience to my word. I want to see worship and service that comes from the heart that comes from a place of gratitude and expresses itself in humble thanksgiving so that there's there's meaning attached to it. It's not the actual outward action that you're doing, but it's it's what that action is expressing. 
Gerald Wilson says, words are cheap and often deceptive. Do we praise God because it makes us feel good? Or do we praise him because we realize just how little we deserve the salvation God offers and how radically he has invaded and changed our lives? Does our praise honor God when our congregations forget whole segments of society? Let's not mistake praise and thanks for worship. They are vital parts of worship, but only part. God is correcting these wrong views of worship in this middle section. Well, in the final few verses, verse 16 to 23, God condemns evil. And he invites his people to repent and worship. But to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? Now, in this section, God is addressing the, quote, wicked person. At first glance, that may seem to be people who are outside of the covenant community. And, and that's possible. But to me, it's unlikely since they're, God's laws and God's covenant, according to verse 16, are on the, their lips. They talk about God's laws and covenant. And we know that not everyone in Israel was obedient to God. So this section seems to address members of the covenant community, mem members of Israel whose lives should have been reflecting the covenant by worshiping and obeying God, but whose lives were not reflecting it. And the call comes so that they will become obedient as community members. So here in verse 17, notice what God says. You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join in with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These are several examples of how they broke uh, the seventh uh, commandment. <laughs> the Eighth Commandment, the Ninth Commandment. Uh, and it's really indicative of maybe breaking them all, all that second half of, of the Ten Commandments. And uh, God is, is calling them out. And look at, look at verse 21. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. You know, some wrong actions bring immediate consequences. <laughs> you touch a hot burner on the stove and all oh, your, your hands going to start burning right away. But when we disobey God, it usually doesn't create a problem right away. Instantly it might, but usually it doesn't. And that's what was happening here. These people were disobeying God. They were practicing evil and God was silent. God wasn't seemingly saying anything about it. And so they, they made a bad uh, analysis of that. They, they thought God was exactly like them. They thought he was indifferent to evil. But God is not indifferent to evil. He's a moral, perfect God, and he hates evil, and he loves righteousness. It just wasn't his time yet. And so now he says in verse 22, consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces. With no one to rescue you, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. There it is again. We saw it earlier about thank offerings. 
And if you sacrifice, you, I want you, there's danger of judgment in verse 22. There'll be no rescue of it. This is a warning. But yet, even with the warning, the truth of the Bible, there's, there's grace. And there's an opportunity to repent. There's an opportunity to change. There's an opportunity to sacrifice. God wants our sacrifices, but only when our lives are honoring him, not when our lives are dishonoring him. He wants sacrifices that come from humility and gratitude and obedience where he can show his salvation. So here's God's word for us this morning. I think this hopefully sums up Psalm 50. Although God does not need our worship, he welcomes it if it comes from a heart of gratitude and obedience. God doesn't need our worship. And although he doesn't need it, he does welcome it. If it comes from a heart of gratitude and obedience. Proverbs 21, 3 says to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6, God says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Romans 12, 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. See all those sacrifices, a life that's given to God, doing right, offering praise, sharing with others. Well, what's our takeaway today? What's our takeaway? How can you take something from this sermon and put it into your life by the grace of God and through the strength of God so that you honor and glorify God? And I just put it in this one sentence. Worship God. Worship God. That means not just with words, but our lives, our obedience. We, like Israel of old, are in a covenant relationship with God. They were in the Mosaic, under the Mosaic covenant. Now we are in, believers in Jesus Christ are in a new covenant that Jesus instituted in his blood. When we take communion, we remember that. It was established by Jesus through his death on the cross. As Tremper Longman says, Psalm 50 reminds us not to fall into an empty ritualism but to maintain a vibrant and obedient relationship with God. Worship God. Let me keep the sentence going. Worship God with genuine thanks. <laughs> thanks that comes from the heart. Thanks that's not just something you have to do. I know I want to grow in this area. It, just thanking God for simple things, everyday things. Making gratitude my first choice, not complaining, not worrying or fretting, but, but being thankful. Worship God with genuine thanks and dependent prayer. That's what our takeaway is. It's all about worship, but it's 
worship as God defines it. It's genuine thanks, and it's depending on him so that we pray. And, and prayer is the ultimate expression of our dependence on him. Although God does not need our worship, he welcomes it if it comes from a heart of gratitude and obedience. Now, what would sacrificing a thank offering look like in your life today? It, it's more than just saying words. It's, it's a true, heartfelt, genuine worship that comes from a life that depends completely on God. And it, it expresses that in prayer and sincere thanksgiving. Christ has saved you from your sins, and the appreciation of that leads you to sing, not just words from the heart, but sing worshipful songs. It leads you to pray, not just as a habit, but because you need and want fellowship with God. It leads you to praise, not just as a ritual, but as a way of, of truly giving thanks to God. And it all comes through Jesus. That's how Psalm 50 points to Jesus. Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice of himself. And to his covenant people, now he brings us into a new covenant. It's all through him. That's where it starts and I hope today that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've fallen on your knees, literally or figuratively, before him and said, yes, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you. I want you as my Savior. And for those of us who are in that covenant, let's, let's develop this heart of gratitude because God is independent. When we realize who God is, we realize he doesn't need us. But wow, how wonderful it is that he allows us and invites us to worship him. I think a good summary word for this may be the word acknowledge. Acknowledge. In his book, Praise a Matter of Life and Breath, Ron Allen comments on Psalms there. And, and when he's talking about Psalm 138, the phrase, I will give you thanks, he chooses the word acknowledge to to summarize that, and he tells this story. A man introduced himself to Alan as a veteran missionary from India. He'd been a medical missionary in India. He'd worked in a region that was particularly given to blindness. People uh, were born with sight, but for some reason there was a condition there where as they aged, they would, they would start to lose their eyesight. They become blind. And this ophthalmologist developed a procedure to combat that disease. So when the people would come to the clinic and have his treatment and then walk away knowing that they were going to be able to keep their sight, they didn't say thank you because they didn't have thank you in their dialect. The word they used, the phrase they used was, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. And I think that's what offering thank offerings to God does. We acknowledge God. We obey him and we thank him. And this glorifies him. In short, we tell his name. And that's important. Because although God does not need our worship, he welcomes it. If it comes from a heart of gratitude and obedience. Oh Lord, thank you that you give us the opportunity
opportunity to worship you. Thank you for revealing who you are in Scripture. Help us to keep this in mind, all the things we're learning about you. And today that you are independent, you do not need anything for us, from us, but you still welcome us and invite us and allow us to worship you. Oh, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. We worship you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, we encourage you to use these discussion questions. Uh, we'll do them in our virtual. Use them in the other groups in which you may meet or in your family situations. Next Thursday, there'll be virtual prayer at 730. And next Friday night, February 12th, uh, we're going to conclude our 40 days of prayer. And we're going to celebrate Harvest's 25th anniversary, which would be Sunday the 14th, by a special prayer and praise night from 7 to 8.15. You can attend in person. You can also log on virtually. Uh, so we, we look forward to that great celebration. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.